Hello, Rebels. A big show for you again. Um, two things I hope you're looking forward to. First is I have a good talk with my friend Tommy Robinson. Uh, very interesting news out of the UK. He won his fight against John Sweeney of the BBC. But the first, oh, 45 minutes of the show is talking about me and Andrew Shear and David Menzies and the Rebel and the Conservative Party and what's going on there anyway. So I hope you enjoy that. Before I get out of the way and invite you to listen to the podcast, please consider becoming a premium subscriber. Go to premium.rebelnews.com. It's eight bucks a month, 80 bucks a year. And um, helps us keep us the light on. It gives you the video version of this. And there's a lot of things I want to show you on video. I want to show you a lot of cops doing a lot of weird things to David Menzies. You can get some of it on audio, but I think you need the video, especially the Brampton rally that David Menzies attended. All right, here's today's show. Tonight. So what's the deal with David Menzies, Rebel News, and Andrew Shear? I'll do my best to answer. It's October 1st, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon Why? consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say is government about why I publish is because it's my bloody right to do so. I've known Andrew Shear since he was practically a kid. I remember meeting him in his Parliament Hill office right after his election. His mom and dad were there too. To be candid, it felt a bit like parents dropping their son off at college, making sure he had real food in the fridge and unpacked his suitcases. It really did feel that way. I mean, the lad was only 25. And as we've learned in the past few days from the Liberal War Room, the sum of Andrew Shear's real world experience was selling insurance for a few months. I won't say we're close, but I remember that meeting in his office clearly. His dad did as much talking as Andrew Shear did, and the main subject, I have to tell you, was the pro-life caucus in Parliament. But here's the thing, it was a secret pro-life caucus, as in Andrew Shear was a part of it, but it was secret because if word got out about who was in it, they'd be pilloried in the press. I mean. If you think it's hard to be a pro-life Christian in the Conservative Party, imagine how hard it would be to be a pro-life Christian in the Liberals or even the Bloc or the NDP, though I doubt there are any in those parties, even one once led by a preacher named Tommy Douglas. It's been 15 years since that meeting, but I still remember it because Shear and his dad were trying to make it memorable for me. They were trying to impress upon me that Andrew Shear was really really conservative, not just a fiscal conservative, which everyone claimed to be back then, even some of the Democrats, but that Scheer was also a social conservative. And the fact that he was there with his whole family and that his father was there in the room was as a sort of chaperone or guarantor. I think that was designed to impress upon me that he was super conservative, and you know it was true because his whole family was out vouching for him, and he's a family man. But the fact that it was a secret caucus and that I was being told of all these things in a private face-to-face -face meeting, that also stands out in my memory, as in, if someone truly has beliefs in politics, someone believes in something passionately, wouldn't you already know? Isn't joining a secret caucus sort of pitiful, actually? 
Isn't that proof that you actually don't really have those convictions? Or at least none that you're willing to fight for? I didn't have a lot to do with Sheer after that. I mean, no one did. I was involved in the Conservative Party a fair bit over the years. For a while, I did some speech writing for them. I wrote campaign literature for them. I really enjoyed that. And the highlight for me was working in Stephen Harper's War Room in 2008. I really liked that experience. I, I got to know all the true conservative fighters. Andrew Scheer was never one of them. Like his secret pro-life caucus membership, he really was never on the front lines of anything because he was the Speaker of the House. The Speaker of the House is not partisan. He never votes unless it's to break a tie. He doesn't ask or answer questions in question period. He doesn't go into the foyer of the House of Commons to endure questions from a hostile media. He never has to defend anything in public, let alone defend things that are really hard to defend, defend indefensible things, defend mistakes, which is sometimes the job of a loyal partisan. Instead, he led a pretty easy life, actually. Did you know that the Speaker of the House has several free homes courtesy of the taxpayer, including this amazing apartment right in the House of Commons center block? Isn't that cool? That's so gorgeous. And he also has an estate called The Farm in Kingsmere, Quebec. Of course, the real power of the speaker is his budget. More than half a billion dollars. And it's all run by something called the Board of Internal Economy, chaired by the speaker. Other parties have their representatives on the board, but it's all done in secret. It's very collegial, since no one's mugging for the cameras. So they all get along quietly, privately, they scratch each other's back. It's called log rolling. So if a liberal MP is sued by a former employee for sexual harassment, he gets his legal fees covered by the Board of Internal Economy. And the conservatives agree to fund that behind closed doors, because when a conservative MP gets sued for sexual harassment, they cover him in return. It's all quiet. It's all in camera, as they say. It's all done by consensus. No need to bicker because there are no cameras, no need to play for an audience. It's all secret. There's no need to be careful because they don't publish their proceedings in the same way Parliament as a whole does. So it's as clubby as it gets. There's always someone else's money to solve the problem, taxpayers' money. There's no partisan fights. There's no media allowed in there. I'm just saying what it's like to be the Speaker of the House. It's that way for any Speaker. But my point is, other than six months selling life insurance, that's really all Andrew Scheer has done as an adult. And I think it helps to understand how he won the conservative leadership vote by a squeaker on the very last ballot, not through fighting hard like Maxime Bernier did, but the opposite, just quiet deal-making. Agreeing to defend the Quebec dairy cartel, that's a private deal, the kind of private deal the Board of Internal Economy always did. Private deal, everybody's a winner, make no fuss, let the other guys beat each other up in public. And on the very last ballot, Andrew Scheer won. He was no one's first choice, everyone's second choice. He literally had campaign buttons saying, Andrew Scheer's my second choice. So he won under the radar. Maxime Bernier had the flash and the pizzazz. Andrew Scheer had the quiet calculations. Bernier was the passionate ideologue fighting for freedom, even against the Quebec dairy cartel, which is quite something, given that Bernier himself is from Quebec, but like Scheer's pro-life support that he preferred to keep a secret. Standing for things boldly isn't really Scheer's top priority. That's why his very first act as leader was to order all of his MPs 
including his Alberta MPs, to vote for the UN global warming scheme. He whipped his MPs, including from Alberta. He forced them to do it. It was bizarre. But if his most cherished personal belief, according to his dad at least, was something he wanted to talk about in secret, to keep hidden from the media, why would he fight for anything? At least if he thought there was some momentary benefit to ditching him. Andrew was never an ideologue. He is a transactional politician. That's what he did for a decade as Speaker. Compromise, make deals, pay for things with an untransparent budget. Now, I always liked the guy because he has a likable face in my mind. Because I thought it was sort of cute that my big meeting with him was with his parents there. It had an effect on me. It made me think of him as rooted in something. The thing I like the most about him today is the fact that he has a big family. It tells me he's normal, that he actually has to deal with normal issues, a household, being a dad, a budget. As far as I know, he doesn't have two nannies on the government payroll like Justin Trudeau does. I really didn't keep in touch with Andrew Scheer because he wasn't really active in the conservative movement. He was a dealmaker, a compromiser, Tammany Hall, as they'd say in New York. I was more in sync with the guys who fought the battles for conservative ideas, like Stephen Harper, not the ones who just reaped the luxuries for power. I know what Stephen Harper stands for. I always did. I know what Doug Ford and Jason Kenney stand for, more or less. I actually don't know what Andrew Scheer stands for, other than the dairy cartel. I mean, I can read his daily press releases on the campaign as well as anyone, but none of them ring true. They're all just focus group messages of the day, like his support for the UN Global Warming Scheme. I'm not even sure that was focus grouped or if it, he was just literally pressured into it on live TV by Evan Solomon, as in Andrew Scheer was so uncomfortable with media scrutiny, so unused to it, so unwilling to fight for things that he just collapsed in like 90 seconds on live TV and let a journalist peer pressure him into changing what he believed. Do you remember this interaction? We will be unveiling a very detailed and comprehensive plan because we believe that Canada has to be part of the solution. We're about a year away from the next election, a little bit more. I guarantee you we will have a comprehensive message to Canadians that doesn't just focus in on... That will reach, that will reach, just, I'm just asking, because you know, you're, this is the big issue, because it, ha it ties in with pipelines, as you said. The, the former Harper regulations would not come close to meeting this, the targets that the Harper government set, and you, you want to keep those. Will you unveil a plan that will actually meet the Paris targets? Of course I will un, uh, unveil a plan that reaches the targets that, that we have already voted in favor of. We, we, we believe that Canada has to be part of the solution. We want okay. to have, we will, we will have a, right. a meaningful plan to reduce emissions. And went back and forth a bit, and he caved in. He did not. That was not party position until Evan Solomon pushed him around. And so gently, Evan Solomon is pretty polite. That shows a lack of conviction. That goes to a lack of experience pushing back at the media. That goes to his susceptibility to peer pressure. The guy's never fought a fight in his life. Our co-founder here at Rebel News is my friend Hamish Marshall. Smart guy, lifelong conservative fighter, real conservative. I worked with his wife, Catherine Marshall, too. She used to be the spokesman for my old group called Ethical Oil. They're a great conservative power couple. Hamish ran Shear's leadership campaign. We let him do it right out of our rebel offices, as long as he didn't interfere with our journalism, as in Hamish was a director of our company doing business and tech things for us, and he was based in our office. But if it was an Andrew Shear thing, 
there was what we call the Chinese wall between him and the Rebel News editorial. Uh, we interviewed Andrew Scheer, as we normally would interview any other politician. Hamish had nothing to do with that. We did that as our own editorial decision. Um, that said, Hamish did bring Andrew Scheer by the office one day to be interviewed by me. And I was really looking forward to it. I was very positive about it. But it turned into a bit of a disaster. I'm not going to be in the business of uh, trying to participate in, in an auction of, well, you know, one party says 300000 another party says 400000 I'm not going to try to outbid it. It should be based on logical rationale. Okay, well, McCallum has said he's going to jack up the numbers probably by 100000 Do you oppose that? Well, is it, what's that based on, you know? Well, I don't know. Yeah, so if, if it's not based on something logical or coherent, then I think it's just a political target aimed at, you know, to trying to win over uh, a segment of, of the electorate. I'm not going to do that. I, I, one of the constraints... So are you that, against that? Well, I, I, I am against a policy that just throws a number out for shock value to, or for, to try to gain attention. I want our immigration policy to be, be based on what the needs of the economy are, what the needs of our society, and then let's arrive at a number. All right. Now, I tried to press him on what is the number, and I tried to press him on if we should have any qualitative tests for migrants, should they have to be in sync with Canadian values. I must have asked him versions of those questions five times. Take a look. Do you have anything to say about the Syrian migrants or about John McCallum's new numbers? Or, uh, I mean, that's something that I think conservatives, maybe it's just me, but I think a lot of conservatives want to hear something on that. Kelly isn't talking about security. He's talking about no, values. No. What's your view on, so, on a values test? So look, well, McCallum has said he's going to jack up the numbers probably by 100,000. Do you oppose that? So are you against that? Well, Kelly Leach has said before they get here, they should be some sort of a values screening. Do you think we should ask and ask any values-laden questions of people before they get here? Well, you just tell me your answer yourself. Do you think I mean, you're saying once people get here, integrate them, teach them? I don't think anyone disagrees. But before they even get here, should we ask them about their values? Should we ask them about Canadian values before we let them in? Now, I didn't show the full answers there. Uh, take it from me that he did not answer. He bobbed and weaved, so I came back. I think that was like seven times. I think I'll re-upload the full version of that interview uh, because it, it was so frustrating for me. And I say again, I was pretty excited to have a sit-down with him. He came right into our Rebel News studio, which was fun. But that's what happened when you have me, an ideologue and a fighter, trying to get a straight answer out of a shy, transactional politician who probably agreed with me deep down inside, but just in his secret pro-life caucus kind of way, he didn't want to talk about it publicly. Needless to say, that was the last time Andrew Scheer had anything to do with me. Because, look, we weren't like the other people in a secret board of internal economy meeting where we were out for some payoff, some I scratch your back, you scratch mine. We wanted to know where he stood on key issues. And he didn't want to say. He still hasn't said, actually. Oh, well, he can make his choices. We'll make our choices. We do reporting, and we report on him as you know we do. We support anyone who will topple Justin Trudeau. We regret that Maxime Bernier split off into the PPC because we don't like splitism. Stephen Harper united the right, and it's a shame that it has come apart again. I blame both Bernier and Scheer for that. It takes two to unravel like that. I've said that Bernier ought to have stayed in the Conservatives and that he likely would have become their heir apparent, but he left. So our views are well known. We like Bernier on policy. We like his clarity, his ideology, his charisma, his courage. 
He's the opposite of Andrew Scheer in many ways, but we know that Andrew Scheer is the only candidate whose party has a likelihood of beating Trudeau. Now, now this is a secret, so we do our job. Sometimes we, you know, do stories like David Menzies did the other day, exposing, remember that insane leftist troll in Toronto who did the hoax? Remember the hoax? This is a place of men. This is a place of men. This is a beautiful place. Oh. I can't believe you're real. You're actually real. You're real. Get the fuck home. Go home. This is the place of men, not for fucking. You don't belong here. Get the fuck home. You can't spit on my country. Every media in the country reported that, and we said that that's not right. That that's an obvious hoax, and it was a hoax. Well, David Menzies went to that woman's court case and accosted her, and indeed she is a leftist who was trying to embarrass Andrew Scheer, and we were the only people who reported it. Ms. Davidson, have you apologized to uh, Andrew Scheer yet? Ms. Davidson, are you mentally ill? Are you? Huh? Are you mentally Don't ill? I don't think so. Uh, how do you know why, you aren't, aren't, Are you sure you're not why, why did your, uh, Why did your friend do that? Oh, okay. Ms. Davidson? Hey, that was assault. That's assault. That's assault. You broke my microphone. That's assault. Huh? That's assault. He's assaulting me. I'm defending no, no, myself. No, I've just witnessed you assaulting I'm tired you. Of you idiots. Oh, I'm tired of you. You the idiot here. Ms. Davidson, have you apologized to any of the people that you assaulted or smeared? Have you got Tourette's? Huh? Have you suffered from Tourette's? Ms. Davidson, what was the agenda you had in doing that stunt last month? It was the bursting of the liberal bubble. It was what? The bursting of the liberal bubble. I think she, she's a little uh, imbalanced, but as you can see, we were the only media in the country fighting against that anti-Andrew Scheer lie. Even though we think Andrew Scheer is too wobbly, it doesn't mean we don't do real conservative journalism. You just saw it. We tell the other side of the story from the media party. You just saw it. That was great, wasn't it? So that's all history, and I tell you all of that as background to yesterday's interaction between David Menzies and Andrew Scheer. Simply put, Scheer and his people kicked out David from a public press conference. They had the police do it for them, and then they had the police arrest and handcuff him. We did a whole show on it yesterday. I just stitched together two other videos I had done that day because making sure David was safe took up half my time. I was on the lawyer, phone with the lawyers. Anyways, but I see that the Conservative Party is pushing back, claiming strange things. And I've received at least a dozen emails with different conservative excuses. And I wonder about a few of them, not because I'm trying to be mean, but because they're well, they're lying about David and about us, and, and I think that's wrong, and I want to clear it up. Look, Andrew Scheer doesn't want anything to do with Rebel News, because if he even talks to us, then the media party mean girls will be mean to him. That's the only reason. I mean, Hamish told me that directly. If Andrew Scheer talks to Rebel News, then all the Unifor journalists, all the Justin journos, they just freak out. I mean, like this guy, Paul Wells. If Andrew Scheer ever talks to us, Paul Wells will get very, very mad at him. Remember this? The number one question that came from an awful lot of people when we invited them to say, what would you ask Andrew Scheer, was, why is he working with people who were associated with Rebel Media and Ezra Levant? Your campaign director, Hamish Marshall, was a director of the corporation uh, until he became your campaign director. Uh, Stephen Taylor 
uh, is working on social media with you, was also associated with Rebel Media. Uh, to what point are you taking on the baggage of Rebel Media when you work with folks like that? Did you hear that Paul Wells said that's the number one question from viewers? Do you, do you believe that? Uh, it was the same with Wendy Mesley of the CBC. Remember this? Criticism of, of you uh, for your links in the past to rebel media, which is associated with rather extreme views on Muslims and associations with uh, white supremacists and so on. Your campaign manager now, Hamish Marshall, uh, was directly involved with building rebel. Why did you choose him to run the campaign? Are you not at all worried about messages of, of sending out now, I mean, that Rebel has gone so far down this white supremacist path. What a, I, I'm a Jew, Wendy Mesley. We, what are you talking about? We have people of every race here. You're the one, I, I don't know, I totally, cow, was that crazy? But you can see why Andrew Shear would want to be away from the crazy. But that doesn't mean submitting to the crazy. Do you see my point? Andrew Shear doesn't know how to handle media. That was a crazy question. But Andrew Shear has never had practice when he was Speaker of the House. You, you saw him cave in in real time to Evan Solomon on global warming. So he will literally do anything to make the mean girls stop being mean to him. Not only will he give them his lunch money, but he'll give them our lunch money. He'll throw us under the bus to appease anyone. That's what happens when you live a life of luxury for 10 years, never fight a fight. Look, Andrew, it's not going to work, buddy. They will never love you as much as they love Justin Trudeau. Uh, last book you've read or the book you're reading? Um, the, just finished uh, the, um, the Patch, which was uh, Chris Turner's uh, history yes. of, yeah. uh, of the oil patch. Um, but I'm also about to start uh, the new uh, Ken Follett, with the, the third, third book that is uh, the sequel to um, Pillars of the Earth. That's your, your nerdy side. That, no, that's, that's my... Uh, your sci-fi nerdy side. No, no, it's not, it's not sci-fi. It's, it's just a, a sweeping historical epic, I'm sure, but yeah. I haven't started it yet. So, uh, what uh, kind of music are you listening to right now? If you have time, or podcasts? No, no, podcasts? No, I don't. I, I've tried. I, I run regularly, and I've tried to uh, uh, tried to do the podcast thing, but it hasn't really. Uh, it doesn't really. Say, I don't like people talking in my ears when I'm trying to run. I like to like to sort of vibe out. That was the CBC's Rosemary Barton on a platonic date with Justin Trudeau. There's no other way to describe it. I note that today, Andrew Shear had a private, exclusive interview with the CBC. The day after banning and handcuffing David Menzies, they are not going to love you, Andrew. They hate you because you are who you are. They hate whatever conservativeness you actually have left, and they have contempt for the fact that you won't even stand up for it. They'll take whatever you give them by way of surrender, and then they'll campaign for Trudeau anyways. You cannot outbid Trudeau transactionally. He'll always give them more than you can give them. How about just being yourself instead of doing what they say or, or being your dad or something? Anyways, I got a lot of emails from conservatives who were shocked by Andrew Shear's treatment of David Menzies, and a lot of them simply didn't believe it. They said the campaign event yesterday wasn't really a campaign event. It was a private event. It wasn't a media event. They said it wasn't even the conservatives that kicked this out. Some 
conservative candidates were telling their volunteers that the CBC was kept out too, so it wasn't just to punish the rebel. Well, th those things just aren't true, I'm sorry. You can see the CBC reported the event as a media availability. The National Post reported it as a public appearance. Of course, we are both the public and the media, and they actually brought David right into the event when he arrived. The CBC was there as a welcome guest. Here's their reporter, Salima Shivji, tweeting from the event. She actually tweets the exact moment when a Conservative Party staffer, Jamie Ellerton, kicked out David. Some Conservatives said Andrew Scheer wasn't even there. Well, he absolutely was there and gave a press conference and answered questions from other reporters. Some Conservatives said David just had to RSVP in advance, but Scheer himself said that Rebel News reporters will never be allowed to come to any of his events. He said that yesterday. Hi, I'm Mitch Potter, Toronto Star. Uh, earlier, just before you stepped in, there was an individual from the information outlet, The Rebel, who was removed from the room. And uh, I think in the distant past, you've engaged with The Rebel. Can you tell us what's changed and, and how you view that organization now? Well, as I said a, a few years ago, uh, after some incidents uh, with, uh, with the reporting from that network, that I would no longer uh, be uh, granting interviews to The Rebel. Uh, and uh, as for today, this event was open for accredited media outlets. Uh, he's, he later compared us to Rabble, which is a group blog. It's not a news organization. I have no beef with Rabble attending any of these journalists. They, they are journalists of sorts. And, and they also compared us to Press Progress. This was in Talking Points to Other Journalists. That's a wholly owned arm of the Broadbent Institute's lobby group. We're not those things. But even if we were, why, why would he ban us from coming into the room to listen to him? How are we any more activists than the Toronto Star or his new friends of the CBC? And what does any of that have to do with David Menzies? I've never seen David Menzies do a report that I wasn't proud of. I mean, once in a while he has some fun and dresses up in a tutu, but that's a different thing. Now, I want to show you two more videos. The first is a video that we published last night after David returned from that event and we downloaded all of his footage. It's the full story of how he was kicked out. And I want to show it to you. It's nine minutes long. You saw some of it yesterday, but you didn't see most of it. We didn't have the footage in time. Now take a look, and please come back because I want to show you today's news, which is very, very interesting. So watch this. This is when Andrew Shear kicked out David. But after this nine-minute video of what happened yesterday in the daytime, I want to show you what happened later last night, and we didn't get this video till the morning, of when David actually got through to Andrew Scheer and spoke to him late last night. Okay, so I'll see you in nine minutes. This is the update from yesterday. Come right back because I want to show you what happened last night. Listen, I know I'm not part of Jerry Diaz's uniform union, but it'd be nice if uh, you gentlemen, lady, would be uh, give some uh, solidarity. Can I not talk to these uh, members of the press? David Menzies for the Rebel News here in Whitby, Ontario. Well, folks, I'm outside the Ability Centre. This is the venue for a press conference uh, that's going to take place, uh, headed up by the Conservative Party leader, Andrew Scheer. I have no idea what he's going to announce as part of uh, his party's platform. Hopefully it's going to be a big announcement. It is exactly three weeks before 
the federal election on October 21st. And um, hey, let's put it this way. Uh, if the polls are correct, this is a neck and neck horse race. Clearly, Andrew Scheer has to break through. He has to get some good vibrations going. So I'm gonna go into the uh, press conference and find out what the leader has to say today. As this is not a public event and you are not accredited media, so we're gonna ask you to leave, please. How do you get to be accredited media? Uh, you need to be accredited by the campaign. You are not accredited media, so we're gonna ask you to leave, please. And why is that? Uh, you are not accredited media. This is a private event. We are gonna ask you to leave, please. No, you keep saying that, but why am no, I I'm not, not doing an interview right media. here right now. You can get in touch with our press well, office. Well, that's what I was invited for. You, so you are like... actually not invited. You are not accredited okay, media. We're gonna ask you to leave. You can get in touch with the press office and uh, get learn more about our Is this the Andrew Shear event or the Justin Trudeau event? Uh, Mr. Menzies, I'm gonna ask yes. you to leave please you're not accredited what is he announcing that you don't want who are you by the way i'm uh, with the campaign you're welcome to step outside here we'll stay here i'm i'm okay. with the rcmp it's a private event please walk sir please walk it's a private Excuse event me. Don't, a... don't shove me all right i'm not shoving you i'm okay. asking you to I'm leave i'm asking you how you get to start walking okay well yeah. that's the same problem i have it was a public event and they're saying no oh they won't allow you in here no so. and um why is that well, because I want to ask some questions from Andrew Shear, and they keep on saying, no, you can't come. Mm. Okay. Completely wrong. Completely wrong. And this is a public event. It should be a public event. I see on the TV all the time people saying they can set up and ask questions. Mm. And here they're saying, I can't even enter the damn thing. Okay. Yeah, all right then. You were asked nicely to So this is, this is free speech in Canada right now, But you're not right? welcome in this private How about my brothers in the media? Would you, are you going to stand up for this, or uh, is there going to be some uh, solidarity? Yes, I'm free time, so maybe. Huh? He doesn't want him around. Is this, I, I didn't know this was a Trudeau precedent. I thought it was a conservative precedent. Okay. Sir, you're, you're is there anyone going to be in solidarity with me? Any of you? When I have the room police come in. No? Just wait for the room police to come in. All right. I hope whatever Mr. Shear's announcement is, it isn't going to get eclipsed by the sidebar story of all the media covering this uh, physical removal of a journalist. I really hope so. Hi, can we have a chat? Pardon me? Can I talk to you, please? Absolutely. I'm right here, sir. But I want to remain here because I'm going to try to ask Mr. Shear directly why, you know, the muscle is uh, strong-arming us out of a, a, a press event. Okay. Can we maybe just have a, a little... I'll, I'll stay right here because I don't want to miss him. So, um, this is a private event. Okay. It's been hosted here at the Ability Center. Okay. And um, the building is ours and so uh, if you're not a member I have to respectfully ask but I am a member of media sir that, no sorry member of the ability center oh okay well I see dozens of media members right behind that yes the they are there by invitation it's their okay. event they get to choose who uh, is present there this is the ability center and for security reasons I have to ask you respectfully security reasons yes you don't have I am a members. security threat you are not a security threat <laughs> I'm aware of but okay we have strict protocols that this uh, premises is um, for members only. 
or invited guests uh, when we host an event. So uh, we're not even hosting actually, we are renting the space. Well, there's only, you get one option. There are two options. Either you leave by yourself or we'll have to call the Durham police staff to ask for help. Well, if you feel you want to do that, sir, you know, and somehow I, I'm, I'm a criminal, somehow I'm a security threat that you would call the real police to throw me out? I mean, why is that? And I'm sorry, who, who are you in? I, I'm the security lead for conservatives. Okay, then. And you're not welcome to the event here. And, uh, Can I ask you why, sir? No, I have. I cannot indulge or get into anything, anything further than what I just told you. You're just not okay. welcome to the event. Do you know what the reason is? I have no idea. Okay, then. So, uh, basically, I... That's... Sir, that's why. Right. I still leave from this yeah. place. place yeah. Now you're going to have uh, to leave. Well, you know, it's... Sir! Okay. Sir. So, I had requested that you leave. You you brought me right to the room, sir. I did. Yes. Because I thought you were an invited guest. Okay. So well, I am a I, member of the media. I understand. Yeah. I have to, again, please respectfully ask that you leave, because if you don't, these people will have to escort you from our building. You know, I don't know if I'm in Canada right now or North Korea. Okay. You know, and it's I no been, offense I've to you officers here, I've been but I mean, you, you have, I, I agree, and but, it's I, not but you won't answer my, my question. You leave you know, with no choice. You know, my, my grandfather fought five years in the Second World War to preserve okay. our freedoms, man. Can you just come with us? All right, then. Okay. If I don't, you're going to arrest me? Is that how well, it works? I can charge you. So. All right, then. Well, that sure didn't go as planned. In fact, I'm in a state of shock, folks. Andrew Shear and his conservative lackeys actually called the police on me and had me removed from a public venue. As you can see in the back, uh, there is the Team Shear big blue bus. Uh, I'm not allowed to even go in the parking lot. I'll be charged with trespass. That's what the, the police had told me. So I'm on a public sidewalk about 120 meters away from the bus. I'm going to see if I can shout out some questions to Andrew Shear, see if he'll have the intestinal fortitude to answer them. Uh, some of the questions I think should be, um, when did he start taking uh, censorship lessons from Justin Trudeau? And why is it that the, the likes of the Toronto Star, the Globe and Mail, the CBC, the so-called mean girls of the media party, they're welcome to these events uh, with a red carpet, but a conservative leading journalist has the police frog march him out? And does he indeed believe in freedom of speech, freedom of the press, and freedom of expression? He says he does, but I would say that his actions indicate otherwise. In any event, I'm going to attempt to um, ask those questions to Mr. Shearer before he leaves Whitby. And um, assuming I don't get arrested, let's see what happens. I'm just, I'm just, I am, I'm just trying to get a, uh, uh, an answer. Excuse me. Excuse me. Listen, I know I'm not part of Jerry Diaz's uniform union, but it'd be nice if uh, you gentlemen, lady, would be uh, give some uh, solidarity. Can I not talk to these uh, members of the press? Do, do we have freedom of press here? Do we or not? So uh, these are your tax dollars, uh, hard at work, folks. Um, the RCMP being used to um, shut down uh, the practice of journalism, at least to those journalists uh, who have the temerity to ask impolite questions. So I guess the uh, thought police, if you will, has been called in. Again, I'm not, I'm not going to criticize the uh, Durham Regional Police here. They're just acting on, um, I presume, 911 calls from the Conservative Party. So. Um, they're mulling it over, I guess, right now to find out um, 
what they're going to charge me with. I overheard uh, obstruction of justice. Gee, that that, that kind of sounds SNC leveling like, doesn't it, folks? And um, I'll continue uh, dispatching here at the Ability Center in Whitby, where I am only trying to do my job, which is practicing journalism. Okay, so that's what happened yesterday during the day. I've never seen a journalist handcuffed before in Canada, have you? Even Unifor journalist Andrew Coyne was appalled and pointed out that David's questions were legitimate. And of course they were, and we didn't need Andrew Coyne's permission, but even our competitors are getting grossed out. You know it's bad. Well, short hours later, when he was unhandcuffed, David went to another Andrew Shear event, and he met that same cop who, well, he said a few things. First, he said David couldn't come in at all. And then he said David could come in, but only if he promised not to ask any questions. Um, does that sound weird to you, a policeman telling reporters what they can and can't ask? Yeah, that's not Canadian. David points out that other media were there. I don't know. The whole thing seems so weird. But here, watch for yourself. This is David's interaction at the event last night, including with Andrew Shear. Now, come back, because I've got some things I want to tell you afterwards. Take a look at this. Mr. Shear, do you believe in freedom of speech? Absolutely. You do? Then why did you have me arrested earlier today, sir? David Menzies for the Rebel News here in Brampton, Ontario, just outside the Brampton Lions Club. Well, Andrew Shear has dropped by to do a meet and greet with the local candidate here. For me, it's been, I don't know, less than six hours since I was roughed up, handcuffed, arrested and released uh, back in Whitby, Ontario. I'm going to wander into the grounds here and see if I can get an audience with Mr. Shear. A couple of questions I want to ask him. Why did he do what he did to me uh, six hours ago? And um, does he or does he not believe in those crazy concepts known as freedom of speech, freedom of expression, and freedom of the press? Let's see how this plays out. Hopefully, I won't be wearing a set of handcuffs and uh, roughed up again. Here we go. Hey, how you doing there? Hi there. David Menzies with Rebel News. What's that? You're not allowed in here. I'm not allowed in no, here? No, you're not allowed in Why is that? Okay, you've been told already that you're not allowed to our events. It's a private sorry, event. Who this are you, is a sir? private I am the security. Okay. For the Conservative Party of Canada. So I'm a security threat somehow? Just, just. Well, folks, it took all of, oh, I don't know, 15 seconds before that uh, security thug that I met earlier today told me that um, we're not invited. And again, we had the back and forth questions go, well, why am I not invited? Well, um, you're not invited, which is a non-answer. So um, I'm here on the grounds in the parking lot outdoors. Um, we'll see if they're going to, we're going to go through a repeat of what happened this morning. Oh, hello again, sir. How you doing? Good. So we're going to allow you to say, but there's no questions allowed. Oh, really? So, yeah, that's right. So there's no questions allowed. Isn't that the idea of a free press? To... Yeah, there's no questions allowed. For so, all the media? Yeah, for all the media. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Just so that you're aware. Just harmless questions. Yeah, I mean. No, there's no questions allowed. That's uh, just uh, that's for all the media. And you've set up all, all these cameras are set up with no questions? That's right. It's just for the... Uh, that's right. 
Well, folks, as you just saw, the security guard that told me to beat it uh, when I first came here says, uh, well, I can stick around, just can't ask any questions. Oh, Miss Gossel. Miss Gossel? Hello. Hi. Hey. David Menzies, Rebel uh, <laughs> News. Can, can I ask you, does Andrew Shear believe in freedom of speech? Of course he does. Okay, then. How, why was it that earlier today I was let off in handcuffs from his Whitby uh, presser? I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm so sorry. I have, uh, yeah, we have to get started. Oh, you got to get started? Yeah. Okay. Merci beaucoup pour cet accueil très, très, très chaleureux. Friends, we, I've got great news, great news. We are halfway to election day, halfway to getting rid of Justin Trudeau's... Yeah! You can come over here on the side, but not on the stage. But these people are on this stage. They're part of their staff. Okay. Their staff? They're, they're media. Yeah. Well, I can't see over the... Uh, well, it says CTV on the camera. Mr. Shear, do you believe in freedom of speech? Mr. Shear? Mr. Shear, do you believe in freedom of speech? Mr. Shear, do you believe in freedom of speech? You do? Why did you have me arrested earlier today, sir? Mr. Shear, why was I arrested earlier today? Sir? Mr. Shear, could you answer that question? Mr. Chair, you said you absolutely believe in freedom of speech, but you had me arrested. Sorry, Can you explain that, please? Now, this is interesting. I'm trying to ask Andrew Shear if he believes in freedom of speech. He said absolutely, and uh, he wouldn't answer why I, he had me arrested earlier today for exercising freedom of speech. And now, as you can see behind me, there's... Um, this like human wall of uh, Conservative Party security staff, um, like this fellow here with the Canadian flag, um, and uh, they're not letting me get any closer uh, to Mr. Shear. I've already been disciplined by saying um, you're not supposed to ask any questions. So in any event, I'm going to try to see if Mr. Shear will walk past me a little closely and uh, try to press him on this issue of why he has journalists in Canada arrested for asking impolite questions. <laughs> Mr. Chair, if you believe in free speech, why did you have me arrested today? Excuse me. Mr. Shear, if you believe in free speech, why was I arrested today? Can you answer that question, Mr. Shear? Can you answer that question? Why are you Excuse me. Excuse me. What are you talking about? All these people. Mr. Shear, can you answer my question? Well, the Andrew Shear meet and greet here in Brampton has wrapped up, and uh, Mr. Shear is back on the bus going to who knows where. I'm going to see if I can find any of the other local uh, Brampton conservative candidates 
And sure enough, uh, just to the left of me, I do see Ramona Singh. Um, I'm going to go and ask uh, Miss Singh what her position is on freedom of speech. Ramona Singh, Hi. David Menzies, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. Uh, Ramona, I'm just trying to get a, que uh, a question answered by Mr. Shear, but he won't answer it, and that is whether or not he believes in freedom of speech. Can you speak for him on that point? Well, I mean, the leader has always been open about freedom of speech. It was one of the things that it was this platform for the leadership, and it's a big tent party, absolutely. Um, but you'd have to reach out to him for his own quotes. But he's always been somebody who's been open to that. Well, you may not know this, Ramona, but just about six hours ago, I was actually arrested in Whitby for attending a, PC, uh, a conservative press conference. So when it comes to that big tent, I'm just wondering why Mr. Shear is picking and choosing which media he will speak to and have the media he doesn't want to speak to actually arrested. I can't speak on that. I'm sorry to hear that, David. Yeah. I'm definitely sorry to hear that, okay. but I can't speak on that. All right, then. I didn't know about that. My apologies to you. I guess uh, my visit here could be considered as a measure of progress. For example, although I was initially told to beat it by security, they relented uh, given my stubbornness and uh, said I could stay, as long as I didn't ask any questions, mind you. Yeah, a journalist not asking questions, that's kind of like asking a bricklayer not to build a house, isn't it? And um, when I did get a question asked to Mr. Shear, it was, do you believe in free speech? He said, absolutely. But he didn't answer the supplemental question, which was, if you believe in free speech, then why did he have me arrested earlier today in Whitby? And I think the silence was deafening to that one. So as much as Mr. Shear claims he's a free speech advocate, the evidence shows otherwise. And I think these are dangerous waters Mr. Shear is treading in. If you are conservative, if you are right of center, good golly, surely you believe in freedom of the press and freedom of expression and freedom of speech and freedom to say what you will on campus. But Mr. Shear might say he supports that but again, clearly by his actions, he does not. For the Rebel News, I'm David the Menzoid Menzies. All right, so what's my point? My point is that, look, we're going to do our job as reporters. David has been a reporter for 35 years. He's not going to stop because some cop tells him to, or because a cop says he can come into a political event but not ask questions. Yeah. Uh, now, David wants to ask normal questions of all the party leaders, it's not us that's being weird about that. It's Andrew Shear, And he's being weird about it because the mean girls will be mean to him if he talks to us. And Paul Wells and Wendy Mesley will be mean. Well, Andrew, they're going to be mean to you no matter what. They are mean to you no matter what. They're not going to like you more if you're mean to us. And it doesn't make sense. It's not conservative censorship. And the spectacle of sending cops to silence us really is un-Canadian. I mean, we all freak out when liberals or New Democrats try to censor journalists. Why would we not freak out when conservatives do it? We're not actually freaking out. We're the ones being normal. Normal journalists don't shut up because police tell them to, at least not in Canada. Normal journalists ask politicians questions that politicians maybe don't like. If you can't handle David Menzies, who's a pretty friendly guy, how are you going to handle, how are you going to manage as prime minister Donald Trump or Vladimir Putin or Xi Jinping. You can't just pout and hide from them. 
Look, be for freedom, be for free speech, stand up for things, including standing up to the mean girls in the media party. Don't throw us under the bus because that's how your enemies want you to be. You're not a Speaker of the House cutting backroom deals with the opposition anymore. You've got to be a leader now. You have to stand for something. That means you're going to have some enemies. We're actually not your enemies, Andrew. I know you're trying to make us your enemies. We're actually the closest thing you have to a friend. Stephen Harper let the Sun News Network die just before the 2015 election campaign. That wasn't just a crying shame. It, it surely was one reason he lost the election so badly. He had no allies, certainly not at the CBC. If you can't see that Rebel News does more real accountability journalism, holding the left to account, holding the other media to account, telling the other side of the story, then you're blind as a bat. We're not going to stop doing journalism. We're not going to stop coming to your events or any other party events. We'd just rather ask questions about real things rather than asking questions about us and why you call the cops on us. But hey, you do you, and uh, we'll do us. Stay with us. An interview with Tommy Robinson on his great victory day is next. Remember when I went to Manchester about a year ago, Tommy Robinson was unveiling his own documentary called Panodrama, obviously a knockoff of the word panorama. Now, panorama is the name of a famous documentary program on the BBC. I'd say it's a little bit like 60 Minutes. When 60 Minutes targets you, you better be careful because they're going to put in massive investigation resources top journalists. Well, that's what Panorama was in the UK, and their lead reporter is this guy, John Sweeney. Well, John Sweeney, he was dispatched to do the final job of snuffing out Tommy Robinson in the British media. He was hunting Tommy, but Tommy stung the stinger. What I mean by that is Tommy detected that John Sweeney was working secretly with lobby groups, was offering to pay people to say bad things about Tommy. So instead of just making a legal threat or giving his spin, Tommy stung the stinger. What I mean by that is he sent in some of his friends and they wore hidden microphones and cameras and they recorded John Sweeney and his misconduct. And so right before Panorama, was going to release their hit piece on Tommy. Tommy released Panodrama, showing what he had learned about them. It was riveting. Of course, one of the themes of Panorama was that Tommy Robinson is a racist, Tommy Robinson is far right. Amazingly, John Sweeney is the one who was caught making outrageously racist comments. Here are a few of them. Here's John Sweeney, the man who came to bury Tommy as a racist, making comments about Muslims. You need to do a cab too. Um, I, mean, I, I pre-book because the dog makes it more difficult. <laughs> All right. Uh, you know wine, don't you? Wine. Because. Oh, why? Yeah. 
Asian camera driver don't like taking dogs. You, how how dare you? How dare you? Where's my phone? Say that on camera, right? No. Racist. Uh, um, uh, here he is making fun of Greeks. Well, yeah. um, is um, <laughs> which is thank you in Turkish. <laughs> when you piss, you want to piss off a Greek yourself, speak even Turkish. Oh, really? And they know, and they don't, anyway, never mind. I like it, but he's quite funny. Here he is mocking the Irish. I have a little more in common, I have more in common with Tommy than most reporters. Yeah. Uh, I used scumbag Irish background. <laughs> I don't know if you know what's going on there. It's a mashup between the undercover footage of John Sweeney riffing on every minority group and then John Sweeney himself being shown himself. He didn't realize he was recorded and his, his ashen. Uh, here he is talking about gays in a derogatory way. Take a look. Because they've not gone out and just had a mate that's gay. That's the difference. So you've got people up in like all these different places in, in the UK or whatever, and they're sort of... They, have they, have they, they've not they just never, had a gay mate. Have they never met a conservative then? No. <laughs> I, remember, I remember one line in particular, she said, well, what do you think about LGBT or, or something? And I said, well, some of the stuff that gay people say is just ridiculous. And that's me being... That's the way, okay, that's, by the way, there's nothing wrong with it. You said something worse, I guess. Probably. Um, that's the way that I would speak they're, they're to Kaylin. You know, yes. that's the way that I would speak to Kaylin in a okay. bar. You know, I think like, they're ridiculous that they should be shot. Well, yeah, exactly. No, obviously. No, I know, but did you say it? No. Good. That's right, the thing, good. because, uh, yeah. because unbeknownst to... I would to say that, by the way. I would... I <laughs> should be shocked. <laughs> What we talk about? Oh yeah, Joe's dick pics. Is he gay? Is he gay? Oh, my gay dance rubbish. He's a, a Bertie Wolf there, is he? He's a, a Bertie Wolf there, is he? He's a, a Bertie Wolf there, is he? <laughs> very, very embarrassing. It's one thing to be embarrassing, though. It's one thing for a man that's hunting Tommy Robinson to call him a bigot, to basically go through every single possible checkmark, gays, Irish, Greeks, Muslims, um... I mean, that's just rudeness. Uh, he would hang Tommy Robinson for any one of those things. But I think where it moves from mere rudeness to deeply unethical, maybe even illegal conduct, is offering that undercover lady there, Lucy, cash or other consideration if she makes a false claim against Tommy that he had a Me Too sexual misconduct moment with her. Take a look at this. I call him like a, a silly little man and stuff. I'm just shouting at him. Um, yeah, but. Um, oh, we love that. It was quite bad. Could we have that? I'll drop you in it. I'll have the thing. It will drop me in it. Everything will drop me in it. Not necessarily. It was really bad. We had this great big argument in Woburn High Street. Um, yeah, maybe. I suppose that, that, that I did give to the lawyers and they said, well, actually, this for the case doesn't really work because you're just having a dispute. doesn't really, doesn't really whatever. But I thought I'd record it just in case. Maybe I'll do that. That's, um... It's only what, audio. It's only how, audio. That's fine. How angry does it get? 
he gets really angry and then he runs away and gets in the car and drives off. And I shout after the car. It's really bad. We can clip that bit. We can clip that bit. We can clip that bit. My view about that is that, um, um, it I think doing a kind of, a, a kind of gender, a kind of sexual thing so they just had an argument. Lucy was actually shouting at Tommy, but he said, no, no, no. Let's make it a gender thing. Let's make it a sexual thing. That's deep misconduct. Well, when Tommy Robinson revealed that he had stung the stinger in his own movie, Panadrama, that's where these clips are from, it was like a bombshell went off. The BBC said they were going to produce the documentary, but they never did. It was too compromised journalistically and probably legally. And John Sweeney of Panorama, well, he never was really seen again until today when I saw these three tweets from him. After 17 years, I'm leaving the BBC. It's high time to make trouble elsewhere. And then he has the next tweet, he says, thanks to my great pals at the BBC, together we helped free five uh, People here, Trump got challenged there, Putin here. Okay, so he's going through his greatest hits, but then what's his third tweet? I'm sorry our panorama on Tommy Robinson wasn't broadcast. I paid for all the drinks, by the way. So after 17 years, I can finally say these are not the views of the BBC, but he's a complete C blank blank T. I remember I remain an old school reporter, up for the right kind of trouble. I'll be back. Yeah, sure you will, mate. Actually, I think he probably will be. There's a great demand for journalists who toe the line against any conservative populist like Tommy. I bet he'll be hired by Al Jazeera. But it's amazing to me. Imagine if some grassroots citizen journalist in America were to take down 60 Minutes, were to take down in Canada Bob Fife of the Globe and Mail. It's unthinkable, but that's just what Tommy did. And he joins us now. Here, take a look. And joining us now is the man who ought to be taking a victory lap, our friend Tommy Robinson. Tommy, great to see you again. It's good to be seen again, Ezra. Tommy, I tell you, I, I opened up my Twitter today and I absolutely was not expecting to see a John Sweeney, the top investigative journalist at the top investigative show on the whole BBC, was sacked and in his goodbye rant, he mentions you in particular. You brought down Goliath. You took out John Sweeney. You stung the stinger. I'd ask the BBC again. I'd still want to know, where is your documentary? They couriered a letter to my front door to let me know that a documentary was due to be screened on me in the coming weeks. It was at that point that I produced my panorama and showed everybody, where is your documentary? Yeah. Why haven't you screened it? What's taken? I, I know. I know people should. A lot of people saying that I should be happy. What's What's taken nine months? I we gave evidence to the entire world of the lead face of the tax-funded BBC making false sexual allegations against me. He was trying to do a Me Too story against me. He was constantly lying. He was being homophobic. And yet the, the amazing sting thing still for me, Ezra, is that not one single British journalist talked about what we uncovered. The biggest expose on the BBC in history, 
Not one mention from any journalist anywhere in the country. Even, even so, I sat down with a lead journalist for The Telegraph, a lead journalist who used to work for The Sunday Times, and I showed him all the old undercover footage before we put our documentary out, and he couldn't believe it. He said, this is massive. This is huge. He took that footage back. He then rang me up and said, our editor says no. I said, how, how can that be? Yeah. How can... Yeah. How can that be that you won't even talk about it? So it just shows that they're all in it together. It's complete corruption. But you're right. John Sweeney's gone. In his final leaving statement, he showed how a year later, we know why he's gone. It's yeah. because it was he has not been seen on the BBC since we exposed him. Yeah. It's unbelievable. It's, I mean, I'm trying to get Canadians and Americans to understand who John Sweeney is in the UK. I mean, I had never heard of him in Canada, but he would be like our Bob Fife. He would be like Woodward and Bernstein in the United States, the Watergate reporters. He is the guy. If John Sweeney is hunting you, be careful because he's going to get you. Well, he was hunting Tommy, but Tommy cap captured him. Tommy, you bagged him. I, I've never heard of such a turnabout ever he, he, he so your, your viewers understand he he was the face he's the face he is panorama and panorama can go on to make more shows they've lost all their credibility everything they've ever done must now be questioned because we proved that they were staging things setting things up telling people what to say in interviews about me they were working this documentary was supposed to finish me when it didn't when it didn't we've seen the, the course of events when it didn't, when I produced my documentary, in 24 hours, I was made invisible to the world. I was removed from all social media. I was banned from all social media. And then, a week within a week of all of this, they relaunched their, their charges against me for yeah. the second time and subsequently got me put back in prison in Belmarsh, which I was released, I think, two weeks ago from. Yeah. Well, so, I, I tell you, I just, when I saw this on Twitter, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that he was gone. I couldn't believe that he was blaming you. And I know that this will not be covered in the mainstream media because they don't want to acknowledge the scandal that you documented in Pano Drama. Well, listen, I wanted to have you on to say congratulations about that. But while we have you, this is the first time you and I have talked since you got out of prison. And I take it you've had a chance to renormalize with your family, with your friends. Can you give us a bit of an update on what you're doing in terms of projects? Do you have any news for your fans in North America? I do. Ezra, to be honest, this is the first time I've done anything. Um, I wanted to come out of prison. And, you know, in fact, I came out of prison and I attempted to do a couple of things. And, you know, when I come out of prison last time, last year, I'd done months of solitary confinement, and then I went the next day. I went on holiday for two weeks. Right. So I continued. I continued to lay down next to a pool um, for two weeks. So I continued to. When I come out this time, I tried to go full on into doing everything I wanted to do and going everywhere I wanted to go. And and I think um, I think I should have had a bit more relaxed time and time yeah. down yeah. to get back into it. So so and I realised that myself when I attempted to do a couple of things. So I've just. And I've also, I want my children, I haven't been at home, I've been away, I missed last summer, I missed this summer. I want my children to feel secure. Yeah. I, getting, I, when I was in prison this time, I was getting stories of how my son was, um, hit, if there was a noise, he was, he was scared. So I just want them to feel that daddy's home. I've been literally taking my children to school. 
I've been taking them to my son goes boxing a few times a week. He he plays football. My daughters go dance. I've just made sure I want them to feel that that I'm home and and I'm here and that they feel secure again. When it comes to, when it comes to um, work, I've got so many plans, ideas for documentaries. I've got one nearly finished, which was um, Shalom, which was to to show about a Jewish gentleman in, in London. Yeah. Who was it's a British man who was persecuted to death. So I've got that. Yeah. But I've also I want to make I've spoke I've spoke publicly about the rape of Britain, but the reason why I haven't started the rape of Britain yet is to do that documentary, I need to move into these towns and cities. I need to move into them for three, four weeks at a time. Mm-hmm. I'm ha- I'm going to do that. I'm happy to do that. It's also a risky as soon as I go there, it's quite it's quite a high risk of confrontation. And I know that. It's quite a high risk of police pressure. They will want to stop me. I know all of that. So I've already made a conscious decision to start that after Christmas. Yeah. Um, for the sake, the sake I want, I've sort of come to a little agreement with my wife that up until after Christmas um, is when I'll go on the road. But I have got another documentary, Ezra, and I know this is going to go bang as well. I'm going to categorically prove two people and actually confront the liars of the fake news. I've got six different, six different people. Six different stories, six different broadcasters, mm-hmm. um, with evidence that I can categorically prove they're completely lying and have been for many years about myself. So that's one of the things I want to work on. Just because you know what it is, so many people who follow my story, you know who I am. You know what's happened. You follow the details of what's happened. People who don't know, so all these, I have supporters across the UK who, when they mention me to their friends or their family or colleagues or anything like that. They get a bad reaction, and that bad reaction is because of the hit job that the corporate media have been doing against me for a decade. Right. And, I, and I'm actually I'm sitting there now, Ezra, watching the way Boris Johnson is under attack. Right. And I'm sitting, I'm sitting thinking, you're being, you're being Tommy Robinson. Yeah. <laughs> you, you've got a woman. You've now got groping claims against him. You've got the. This is from a, a lady who's. If I'm right, her husband is in media, who's part of the Remain camp. So all of these things, all of the things I've seen against me, Boris Johnson, if you now follow certain media, is an extremist. He's a he's a group of thugs. Um, he's a racist. He's a bigot. Um, he's a sexual deviant. All of these things, which I'm sitting there thinking, I'm wondering if Boris is feeling this, and Jeffrey Cox, because Jeffrey Cox was the was the um, Attorney General who pushed the charges against myself. Right. I was convicted in a political decision by a court that was political. Right. And I sat there grinning and smiling thinking when, when the Supreme Court made a political decision right. against the Conservative government. Right. I just sat and thought, well, how does that feel? Because you know it's not right, the decision they've made. You know they're not following the law. You know they're making a decision based on their politics to go against you. And it's exactly what Jeffrey Cox done. And I don't know if you watched Jeffrey Cox's speech the next day in Parliament after this decision. And as much as I feel grieved with what I feel Jeffrey Cox and the British government have done to me, he gave some amazing, an amazing speech. Yeah, I saw that. Here, let's just play a quick clip of it. We'll just put it right here. Take a look. This Parliament is a dead Parliament. It should no longer sit. 
It has no moral right to sit on these green benches. Twice they have been asked to let the electorate decide upon whether they should continue to sit in their seats while they block 17.4 million people's votes. This parliament is a disgrace. Let me tell them the truth. They could vote no confidence at any time. But they're too cowardly. They could agree to a motion to allow this house to dissolve. But they're too cowardly to give it a This Parliament should have the courage to face the electorate. But it won't. It won't, because so many of them are really all about preventing us leaving the European Union at all. But the time is coming, the time is coming, Mr Speaker, when even these turkeys won't be able to prevent Christmas. Well, Tommy, I saw that, and it is ironic that the same men who were prosecuting you are now themselves being persecuted uh, by being demonized by the same establishment. Well, listen, my friend, I, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. You've got a lot of fans in Canada, the United States, around the world. Um, I'll continue to, to follow your cases. If you're ever in a court situation, I'll come over I there absolutely. because our viewers like to read the live tweets from the court because they just don't trust the mainstream media to report on what's going on. As, um, I'd, I'd like to, while I'm talking to because I haven't done my, my videos, just to say a thank you to people who have supported me, who continue to support me, who continue to support my work or my gr uh, group's work with, with all of us, and that, and to thank them for giving me the time. So uh, do you know what? When I go places, I sometimes face situations where I have to be dealing with things in the right frame of mind. And if I'm honest, even coming back out of... And I'll just tell you honestly, there's a documentary coming out. Ross Kemp was a British journalist who was in who was in Belmarsh Prison when I got in there. And he's filming for a documentary. And he come and interviewed me. And even just before I was coming out of the prison, he was interviewing me. And I was very emotional. And I was and it's quite I think it's gonna be quite embarrassing because I was um because it'll be on camera. I was I was very emotional about my kids, about about what I felt and, and angry about what I felt the system has been allowed to do to me with full support of the establishment of the media, of all of them. And I, I still, if I'd done something, I'd understand it, but I'm sitting there thinking, I, I, and then getting angry because I was concerned and cautious and worried about even, I was worried about coming home, which is insane. Yeah. I was worried about coming home. Yeah. And the reason I was worried about coming home was because I, I was feeling, I was thinking, I've just struggled for a year to get back to a position after spending previous time on solitary confinement. So in my head, I was thinking that. So even coming out, then I, I think I, I need to be in the right frame of mind to react to things when I'm out on the street. So I sort of even coming out now, took myself away just to give myself a few weeks. Yeah. So that when I do come out, I'm not. Um, I, I feel that a lot of the buttons they push on me or they try to is to make me react in a certain way. And I don't want to react yeah. in that way. It's not personal. Yeah, I'm take so it easy. Take some time. I tell you, yeah. I was really glad that that you got out of there safely. I mean, being in solitary is psychologically unsafe, but at least physically you weren't starved. We'll keep, we'll keep watching you, and you deserve some time uh, to re 
adjust. And when you're ready after Christmas, we'll be there ready to watch, Tommy. Hey, I'm just recharging my batteries. I've got plans, and I'm just fat grateful to everyone for the support. Right on. Well, you got a lot of supporters on this side of the ocean. Stay safe, my friend, and we'll keep in touch. Thank you. Cheers. All right. There you have it, our friend Tommy Robinson. A victory day for him as John Sweeney, his tormentor at the BBC, is dispatched. Stay with us. More Head on the Rebel. Welcome back on my show yesterday about David Menzies being arrested at an Andrew Scheer campaign event. Jen writes, Andrew Scheer has just blown it. I'm sure the media will, despite hating Rebel News, use this to their advantage and paint Scheer as the first politician to have a Canadian journalist arrested for free speech. Jen, it's funny. Um, who does the CBC hate more, Andrew Scheer or us? Us. Because we're more conservative than he is. We change the culture. We have a bigger audience than he does. 13,000 conservative-themed videos we've published. The CBC hates us far more than they hate him. And thus, they're, I don't know if they're siding with him, but they're certainly not holding it against him. Henry writes, I would really like to hear Shear's explanation for this, because as Menzies tells the story, there's absolutely no reason for this treatment. Yeah, well, I mean... You heard the one explanation he gave. Well, I've decided not to talk, to give interviews to that outlet. It doesn't even explain why he would kick a reporter out of a press conference. It's not an interview. Anyways, Revelation writes, I can't believe Shear is that stupid. Trudeau took a lot of heat for kicking out Andrew Lawton. Even left-leaning reporters were stunned. The dictator label was starting to take hold. Shear must have seen the news. Then he does the same. You know, there's an irony here, and I was going to do my monologue yesterday on the huge free speech rally that Maxime Bernier and Dave Rubin hosted. Um, I think it was, on, I think it was uh, on Sunday night or something. And I thought, boy, isn't that great? Politicians having a free speech-themed rally. Boy, that's encouraging. I wish the conservatives did that. I wish the liberals did that. I wish the media did that. Uh, instead, the very next day, Andrew Shear kicks out a reporter. Uh, very disappointing. On the great stuff for sale in the Rebel News store, Denise writes, I bought your Groper t-shirt when it first came out. When I wear it in downtown Hamilton, you wouldn't believe all the people who stop me and say, I love your shirt. I hate Trudeau and I'm not voting for him. Thanks for helping me spread the word about our inept leader. You know what? Let me show that Grope shirt right here to make sure people see what it looks like. Of course, it's based on the Obama shirt that said, Hope. I've seen one that says, Dope, as in dopey. But I like this one that says, Grope, because Justin Trudeau is many things. He's a blackface groper, pretty handsy, and he loves smoking pot. We should have a pot-themed shirt, too. All right, folks, that's the show for today. Uh, until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, keep fighting for freedom. Bye-bye.